John chapter 1, one verse of scripture. Let's read verse 14 together, shall we? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray, that we may hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches to you, and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I pray that this Advent season would be the time in which you will touch their hearts in such a way that they will return to you. Don't let one of them be lost, I ask. I pray this in the only name that matters, that matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, as I've already spoken briefly about, as you know, was my anniversary Sunday, marking 23 years that I've been privileged to serve as the pastor of this church. Some of you were here that very first day, and you may or may not remember, I suspect you don't, but I'll, so I'll refresh your memory, that the first message I brought from this pulpit 23 years ago was based on this verse that is the text for the message today. And almost every year since that first one, at some point during the Advent season, I have brought a message based on this text. This year, when things seem to be dark and foreboding, we've been through COVID, we've been through Delta variant. We are now in an Omicron variant, and God only knows what is on the horizon. In this season, when things are dark and foreboding and people are apprehensive about what is going to happen next, I think the message of this verse that talks about the light of divine glory coming to this world is particularly appropriate. The word glory in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word kabod, and in the New Testament is the Greek word doxa. This is the word the Bible uses to describe the majesty of the manifest presence of God. The glory of God is the revealed magnificence of God. It's the excellence of of God. It's the weight of his presence that causes people to bow in reverence before him. It's the brilliant splendor of God. It's his honor and his dignity. You'll remember in the Old Testament that, that Moses asked the Lord, he said, I want to see you. And God says, you can't see me if, if you see the full revelation of me, it'd kill you. So I'm going to hide you here in this crevice of the rock and I'll place my hand over it and I'll pass by and then I'll remove my hand so you can just see the back part of my glory when it passes. So the glory of God is the part of him you're able to see and continue to live. The glory of God is the part of him you're able to experience and through seeing and experiencing his glory you're able to know 
that he exists. And if ever there was a time when we need the light of glory to shine, it's the time in which we live. Well, before the writer talks about the revelation of God's glory, however, he begins in verse 14 talking about the mystery of the incarnation. He says, and the word became flesh. Now, a lot of people just pass over that phrase without thinking too much about it. Some people hear the word incarnation and dismiss it as so much theological mumbo-jumbo. What I want you to see is that this word, incarnation, has implications for your personal life in the midst of where you struggle. In this very first chapter, John says that the word is in reality a person that is the creative force that calls into being everything that exists in this universe. It is the word that is the operational power in the very beginning, creating all time, space, and matter. At the beginning of this chapter, you can hear echoes from the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, reveals what happened. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3 then tells how this creation was accomplished when it says, then God said, he spoke the world into existence. That's the way it happens. If you think about it for a moment, you'll recognize that this is the formula for how God accomplishes his mighty works. When God begins the creative process before anything takes shape and form, the first thing he does is speak the word. This is what happened in creation. God spoke and the world was formed. This is what happened at the birth of the nation of Israel. God spoke a promise and a band of wandering nomads became a mighty nation. This is what happened when the angel appeared to Mary. God spoke through his angelic messenger and said, call his name Jesus. And nine months later, the Messiah was born. This is what the psalmist was singing about in Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. This is what even the Gentile centurion soldier understood when he said to Jesus in Matthew 8, verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And what I want, you, want to help you understand during this Advent season is that the word is still speaking. That's what it means in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, when the writer says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus, the incarnate God, is God's finest and final word. Jesus is God's word to answer life's most challenging issues. No matter what you're facing, the word God speaks to the point of your need is Jesus. When you're sick, Jesus. When you're broken, Jesus. When you're bound, Jesus. When you're in despair, Jesus. When you're out of options, Jesus. When you're lonely, Jesus, when you're out of resources, Jesus, when you're betrayed, Jesus, when the relationship is broken, 
Jesus. When you're grieving, Jesus. When you're confused, Jesus. When you've lost your way, Jesus. When the road is rough, Jesus. When the way is dark, Jesus. When the doctor says no cure, Jesus. When the banker says no way, Jesus. When the lawyer says no hope, Jesus. No matter what you're facing, at the most fundamental level, the answer is Jesus. And all of that starts right here with the mystery of the incarnation. The Word became flesh. The incarnation is God taking all of who He is, His vast immeasurable power that has been at work since before the beginning of time, taking all of that vastness and squeezing it and compressing it and condensing it into a single microscopic cell planted in the womb of a virgin. And there in that place, hidden from human sight, it grew for nine months until in what the Bible calls the fullness of time, the decree was issued, the journey was completed, the star appeared, the angels sang to the shepherds on the Judean hillside, the baby was born in a stable in Bethlehem and wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, and the Word became flesh. Think about that. God's immeasurable power in the flesh. All of the creative power and energy of God contained in a man. Living, walking, breathing, eating, sleeping, laughing, crying, touchable, touching us. Not half God and half man, fully God and fully man, divine deity, sinless humanity, the word became flesh. Not only does this verse speak about the mystery of the incarnation, but it goes on to tell about the message of habitation. Since the word became flesh, watch this, and dwelled among us. The Message Bible says it like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is the message contained in the name Emmanuel. God with us. This is not some out-of-touch, distant deity. This is God up close and personal. This is God with skin on. This is the God of all creation walking where you walk, feeling what you feel, hurting where you hurt, identifying with all the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the good and the bad, the happy and the sad, the successes and failures, rejoicing with your triumphs, weeping with your tragedies. The message of habitation is that the great God of the universe is with you wherever you go. I, I didn't do that very well. God is with you. I, 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 you still didn't get it. Hmm. 
I don't have any other way to describe it. God is with you. Not part of God. Not a representation of God. Almighty God himself is with you. This is why Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 says that he is your high priest who can sympathize with your weakness because he has been tempted in every way that you are tempted, yet he did not give in to the temptation and sin. And because he identifies with you in this way, that means you don't have to be afraid and you don't have to be intimidated, but you can now come with confidence to his throne of grace. And when you bring your burdens and your troubles and your heartache and your disappointment and your fears, bring it all to him, he won't reject you. He won't condemn you. He won't ridicule you. Instead, he'll give you grace and mercy. He'll give you all the help you need right when you need it. I wish I were a better preacher. Oh, no, no, because I can't communicate this the way it needs to be communicated. The message of habitation isn't just that he existed in the past, but it's the assurance that he's dwelling with you right now. I'm telling you, he's a right now God. He's a present help. The Lord is with you. Friends may forsake you. Come on, somebody. But the Lord is with you. Loved ones may abandon you. But the Lord is with you. Enemies may attack you. But the Lord is with you. I want to tell you, when you're discouraged, the Lord is with you. When you're grieving, the Lord is with you. When you're frustrated, the Lord is with you. When you're angry, the Lord is with you. When you're lonely, the Lord is with you. When you're anxious, the Lord is with you. When, when you're afraid, the Lord is with you. I'll tell you something else about that. When you haven't done anything to deserve help, the Lord is with you. When you've made a mess of everything you've touched, the Lord is with you. And when you wonder how you're going to get through today and how you'll face tomorrow, the Lord is with you. The, The, the psalmist understood the truth of this. He wrote in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from you, Lord? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the remote, in the, in the place of the dead, behold, you are there. He said, if I take the wings of the dawn and dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. He said, if I say, surely the darkness will, will hide me. Oh, darkness and light are both alike unto you. The darkness will not hide me, O oh Lord. God knows where you are and the Lord is with you. He understood the power of that truth when he sang in Psalm 23 and 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. 
Why, why don't you just go ahead and make a confession of faith and say, the Lord is with me. Why don't you testify to your neighbor and tell him, the Lord is with me. Glory to God. I, I got to move on. I just, I just really like to spend a little more time and tell you that the Lord is with you in the courtroom. And the Lord is with you in the sick room. The Lord is with you in the hospital room. The Lord is with you in the counselor's office. There is no place you can go that the Lord will not be with you. There's the mystery of the incarnation. There's the message of, the, of habitation. Finally, I want you to see in this verse that it proclaims the miracle of transformation. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and here it is, and we beheld his glory. One of the things you discover when you look into the pages of the Bible is that every time God's glory is revealed, something changes. When, it, when glory is revealed, something changes. The first time his glory is revealed is in creation. The Bible is very clear that the creation of this universe was not a random event. It wasn't an accidental collision of particles. It wasn't a chance bonding of molecules. This world and everything in it was a planned event. It has structure and organization. It has definition and purpose. In the beginning that we call a beginning was not a beginning with God because he has no beginning. It's our beginning. So in the beginning, God began with nothing but himself. And through the creative action of his spoken word, called into existence an awe-inspiring masterpiece so complex and diverse that there is a seemingly unending supply of mysteries to uncover. God spoke, and what had been void and emptiness suddenly began to teem with life. And the morning stars sang together, the Bible says, and the sons of God shouted for joy. Everything in this vast universe makes a statement about the glory of God. This is what David was singing about in Psalm 19.1 when he wrote, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. His glory is revealed in creation. Then I want you to see his glory revealed in his chosen people. As a sovereign act of his divine will and grace, God set apart the children of Israel as a nation through whom he would reveal himself to all the people of the earth. He began by revealing his glory to a wandering nomad from Ur of the Chaldeans named Abraham and his wife Sarah. And a barren tent is filled with laughter as a son of promise is miraculously born to a couple in their old age. His glory is revealed as he wrestles all night with Jacob. And the supplanter and deceiver is changed into Israel, blessed by the Almighty. 
His glory is revealed in a burning bush in the midst of the desert. And a stuttering sheep herder becomes the deliverer of the people of God. His glory is revealed in the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night as he guides his people through the wilderness. His glory is revealed at the dedication of a building erected by King Solomon. And a house of wood and stone is turned into a temple of worship as the glory of God comes down in such a magnitude that the priests are not able to stand to minister. His glory is revealed when three young men in exile refuse to bow down to a Babylonian idol made of gold and a fiery furnace becomes a sanctuary graced by the presence of the fourth man in the fire. His glory is revealed in the return of those exiles under Ezra and Zechariah, in the restored temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and in the rebuilt walls of Jerusalem under Nehemiah. And then there are 400 silent years, years in which there is no word from the Lord. Other nations are conquerors. Israel is once again subservient. There is no holy smoke in the temple. There is no fire from heaven. There is no glory. It seemed the people of God had been forgotten and forsaken. When suddenly into the stillest of silences a song burst forth. Into the blackest of nights shined the light of the world. Some of the most exciting words in all the Bible are the first five words of our text. And the word became flesh. It was as if God was saying, you think my glory in creation was something? You think my glory in my chosen people was something? You haven't seen anything until you've seen the great God of the universe become a human baby. You haven't seen anything until you've seen the word become flesh, the incarnation, God with us in human form and substance. You haven't seen anything until you've seen my glory in the cradle. Think about it. This same God who spoke the wor world into existence. The same God who rolled back the waters of the Red Sea. The same God who is so vast that 2 Chronicles 2 and 6 declares the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. The very idea that this same God could somehow fit himself into a tiny microscopic cell planted in the womb of a virgin simply boggles the imagination. But the Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary, and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. The glory of God visited her. Nine months later, the baby was born. The glory was revealed, and the stable became a holy place. The glory was revealed, and the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The glory was revealed, and the shepherds left their flocks on the hillside to go to Bethlehem to see this thing that the Lord had made known to them. The glory was revealed and the star appeared in the heavens as a cosmic announcement for those with eyes to see. The glory was revealed and the wise men left homes and families and journeyed from a distant country to pay homage to him who was born king of the Jews. His glory is revealed in creation. His glory is revealed in his chosen people. His glory is revealed in the cradle. Then some 33 years later, his glory is revealed in the cross. The cross, instrument of cruel punishment and death. The cross, symbol of Roman justice. The cross, 
precious metal suspended from a chain and casually hung around the neck. What possible glory could be found in that? I want to tell you, this is the good news of the gospel. Holy God and sinful man were separated by a great yawning chasm that could not be spanned. But on the cross, with one hand, this Jesus took hold of the hand of the Heavenly Father. And with the other, he reached down to lost humanity. A divine connection was made. Redemption was accomplished. At the cross, the centurion looked into the face of a dying Christ and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. At the cross, the earth was shaken, graves were opened, and resurrected saints were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. At the cross, the final atonement for sin was offered, and a new order was instituted. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and now whosoever will has access to God through Jesus. At the cross, Satan was once and for all defeated. At the cross, demons were put in their place. A public display was made of their defeat. At the cross, the bondage of sin was broken. At the cross, you were redeemed. At the cross, you were reconciled back to God. At the cross, you were sanctified. At the cross, you were given peace. At the cross, you were empowered to live the overcoming life. At the cross, you are able to see the greatest demonstration of love that has ever been shown. For at the cross, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It was the cross that brought about the fulfillment of the psalmist's song in Psalm 85 and 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The apostle Paul understood the glory of the cross when he wrote in Galatians 6 and 14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I want to tell you, because of the glory of the cross, you can now see the light of his glory in changed lives. And this is where the message comes to your world that is dark and chaotic. See, the light of his glory wasn't just for the darkness of the past. It's for the present as well. It's for right where you live today. The verse that is the text for our message gives the explanation of how this miracle of transformation occurs when it says, we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, watch this, full of grace and truth. When the glory of his light is revealed, that's when he touches you with his grace. Grace, the undeserved favor of God. Grace, the operational power of God. Grace is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Grace is God coming alongside and working to create the things you cannot make happen on your own. Grace is God giving you the ability to keep going in the face of seemingly insurmountable obstacles. 
Not only that, but it says his glory is full of truth. Truth, as you know, is not just facts and information. Truth is the uncovering of that which is hidden. Truth is removing the veil so the light can shine in the dark places. Truth is the revelation of all that God has designed and called you to be. Truth is God continuing to call you what he knows you to be. Truth is God working with you so you won't settle less than what he has settle for less than what he has for you. See, we we get too caught up in what everybody else is saying about us and we get too caught up in what we think about ourselves. God says, "Forget all of that. Here's the truth. Here's what I know about you. Here's what I call you. Here's who you are by my grace that has been applied to your life." That's why second 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. When the light of his glory shines, you have grace and truth together. And when you have grace and truth together, you have life. See, I, I, I know what the circumstances of your life say. I know what your past tries to dictate. I know what your teachers told you. I know what your parents said about you. I know what your spouse thinks. I know the accusation of the enemy of your soul. But the Lord comes today with grace and truth. Grace and truth produce glory. And the light of his glory reveals that you are not bound by your past. Somebody needs to hear that again, so I'm going to say it louder for the people in the back row. The light of his glory reveals that you are not bound by your past. The light of his glory reveals that you are not bound by your circumstances. The light of his glory reveals that you aren't doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. Oh yeah, you may have a rotten past, but your past does not determine your future. The light of his glory is shining into your life. His glory reveals you're no longer bound, you're free. You're not rejected, you're accepted in the beloved. You're no longer a slave, you're a child of the most high God. You're no longer defeated, you're victorious. The light of his glory brings healing to a battered life. The light of his glory mends a broken relationship. The light of his glory restores a wounded spirit. The light of his glory transforms you into a new creation. The light of his glory shows the way to victory. The light of his glory dispels the darkness, gives courage to take another step, provides strength for the challenges of today, and gives hope for the uncertainties of tomorrow. Here's what I know. God never planned for you to just view his glory from afar. He never intended you for you to only see his glory painted in, in pastel colors or represented in stained glass or sung in beautiful anthems. Jesus came so that you can have a personal encounter with his glory. Jesus came so that your life can be impacted with his glory, his grace and truth. Jesus came so that he might be born not just in a stable in Bethlehem, but in your heart as well. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 is talking about when it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God, not from ourselves. 
That's the meaning of Colossians 1.27. God willed to make known to his saints what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I told you a couple of weeks ago in the message on that day that the word the Lord has impressed on my heart for this Advent season is that light has come. Light has come. I didn't know it at the time. I have a pastor friend in another state that I was looking at some of the stuff that he was posting on social media about what the Lord had impressed upon his heart and his Advent season series is titled The Light Still Shines. I thought, well, maybe we need to slam those two together. Light has come and it's still shining. So if all you can see is dark, I want to invite you to look in a different direction. Stop looking down. Stop looking within. Stop looking out. Stop looking around. Start looking up. Light has come. And that changes everything. I'm preaching to someone who needs things to change. I'm preaching to someone who needs God to show up in a supernatural way. And I want to believe with you that the Lord is going to shine the light of his glory into your dark place of need in this service today. And when he does, grace and truth are going to be revealed and things are going to change. Things are going to change. Stand with me, please. Who am I preaching to today? Who is it that needs something to change? If that's you, would you get down here right now real quick? If you need something to change. I don't know what that would mean for you, but yeah. I just want to agree with you in prayer. This is, your, this is the day the Lord says, I'm going to start turning some things around for you. 